I think this is important for each individual to feel empowered to prioritize their own personal and professional growth. So it starts with each individual where companies can are, are sort of responsible. It's where they are providing the systems and the programs, right? Um, that demonstrate their commitment to supporting this employee growth. So things like encouraging career mobility uh, throughout the company. So offering that training and giving employees exposure to build those skill sets and to, to really see themselves in, in those other positions and functions that they may not have had exposure to prior. So being intentional about creating those programs and systems. Hi everyone, welcome back to the All Inclusive Podcast. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of being joined by a seasoned DEI strategist and consultant, Samantha Singh. We explore unlocking your career potential and embracing your passion. In the episode, Samantha highlights key elements, including having a clear career vision, leveraging organizational support, the transformative impact of employee resource groups, also known as ERGs, building resilience to overcome challenges and navigating the dynamic realm of DE&I. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Natasha. How are you doing? I'm so good. I'm good, good. So um, let's kick things off. Tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today. Yeah, so um, I'm so happy to be here. So thank you so much for having me. I have been working as a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant since about 2019. Um, I have been fortunate enough to work with organizations to create more inclusive cultures and really welcoming DEI into their existing processes and systems. Um, and so today I am in a position to do work that is fulfilling for me um, and that I feel is impactful and where I can be of service to others. Um, but it was quite the journey to get here. So I actually started my career in finance. So I have an undergrad um, accounting degree. I worked for large financial services firms for a few years after college. Um, but while working at a previous firm, I got very much involved in, in their employee engagement initiatives and really signed myself up for everything that I could relating to um, anything, uh, people, the people element of, of the organization. And so it was through those experiences that I started to notice how much more passionate I was in those meetings and working on those initiatives than I was with my actual job function. And so it was really those experiences along with, at that time I had started the MBA program at Rutgers uh, part-time. And so that all, all of those collective experiences really gave me the confidence to explore this passion and pursue a career um, that focused on empowering people in workplaces. I did not want to look back with regret and feel like I could have tried a bit more to explore. Um, and so really at that point, it was just, how do I do this? How do I make this this sort of leap from this finance background that I have into this world of HR and ultimately where I am today? Um, and so I decided as a way to leverage my background in finance to work as an HR analyst for a year um, before starting consulting in 2019. So that was 
the, you know, the, the first few years out of college and sort of the diversity in my professional portfolio, uh, personally, I am a first-generation American. I was born and raised in New Jersey. I have West Indian parents. They uh, immigrated from Guyana, which is the only English-speaking country in South America. Um, one of my <laughs> sort of goals or objectives is to be able to say Guyana and say Guyanese without having to explain. It's the only English-speaking country in South America because, you know, growing up, a lot of people just did not know, had any idea about the country and yeah. um, and the the background. And I, I understand that you're also Jamaican, which is uh, really nice to really nice to meet a fellow you know west indian person and caribbean person so yes we're two island girls <laughs> exactly yeah and we uh we'll talk about this later we have our identities of our upbringing and the way that we were brought up and in, in the and the environments that we were brought up but also our families cultures and traditions that were ingrained in us right so um so really there's there's diversity in both my professional background and my personal upbringing as well. And I think that really lends itself really nicely to uh, for me to be able to do this work that I do uh, with a unique perspective and a unique depth. Mm. And so uh, I think that that's really been powerful and being an impactful uh, practitioner. Yeah, no, I, I completely can understand that. And I think it's really interesting that you've kind of done this career pivot um, from working within financial services or finance um, into to working into DEI, which seeing from your from what you've said and in your journeys, it's something that was already kind of there and you were kind of doing a few bits here and there through your finance role, but without knowing it, which is really great. And I'd be interested to hear from you, what have you learned from your experience so far in terms of that career pivot? Yeah, there are so many lessons learned over those few years. So um, I was in my mid-20s at that time. And I think your mid-20s, when you just graduate college and you're just exploring and you're just figuring out, it can be very, very challenging because you just don't have the experience to rely on. And so the first thing I would say is to have a very clear vision for yourself, have a clear vision for what you want and what is ideal for you. The, the key word is ideal, not realistic, not this is what my parents want me to do. This is what society says is, is the norm. What is ideal for you? Um, and then really trusting in your ability to get there and to figure things out along the way. Um, and I think this is where being introspective really pays off. So I would say, take the time to reflect, have intentional quiet time to reflect, tap into your own intuition, quieting all of the noise of societal, you know, expectations and family expectations and, um, and the shoulds, you know, and that will help guide you and allow you to think about what it is that you really want and what sparks a light in you. Mm. I think the shoulds, to me look like certain timelines, you know, being in a rush at a certain age, you should be at this place in your career, you should own a home or you should have a family or all these different, you know, expectations. Um, and so ways to to be successful, what, what success really means, all of that is the shoulds and comparing yourself to other people, seeing other people as competition, you know, all of that can get very destructive and very distracting when you are trying to determine what's the best path for you. And so I would just try to, I would say just to try to quiet all of that 
and to just focus on you and how you feel. And the way that you do that is you tap in, you have quiet time, you meditate, you write down your vision. You have, I have three vision boards sitting in front of me right now. I believe wholeheartedly in having a vision and seeing it every single day and knowing that I'm going to get there. Um, so another thing that was really helpful for me was when I was determining this vision is focusing on the work contributions I wanted to make. Not so much the title, not so much the money. What contributions did I want to make? How did the work make me feel? Um, how did it impact other people? How easy did it come to me? How natural was it for me to be in those, those uh, positions? And so that's a type of work that you want to align yourself with. The things that come a little bit more naturally to you and that you feel uh, you know, a spark of passion for. Yeah, and I, I think the way that the world is going as well, I think more people, I would like to to think that more people should take the time to to think about those and ask those questions of themselves. I know, I know things are hard and it's difficult and you can um, sometimes take up a role and be in it because you need to for monetary reasons or to kind of support your family and that's all completely understandable. But where where you and where we I feel like as as the world is you somewhat have the luxury to be able to see some for some that there are other roles out there that fit your purpose and your passion and that you can actually go for them and um I love that those questions that you've asked of yourself the meditation the vision boards they're such powerful things it's something that I also do I need to do better at doing actually but <laughs> I need my I need to re redo my vision board now because quite a few things that are on there that were on there have now have now come to fruition which is fantastic but it's love constantly that. it is also constantly revisiting that vision board as well and making sure that like once you've ticked off a few things there is you're always forward thinking if that makes sense like I just feel it's so important to to if you can to follow your passion because that's where you're going to thrive the most right absolutely and I think too with vision boards and with um you know with visualizing it's like having fun with it not putting a ton of pressure on it not putting you know this strict timeline just Focus on how that makes you feel. If you have a photo of a, a podcast, for example, you, you've been able to successfully build your own podcast, having fun with it and knowing this is going to happen and this is going to come to fruition and it's extremely exciting instead of I have to do this at a certain time and if I don't, I'm, I'm a failure and all of these all of these negative things, right? So it's just putting really good energy behind your visions and really trusting that that is actually possible for you. Um, and I think that's how you create in a very positive way for yourself. Um, what I used to do, um, an exercise that I found really helpful was I used to write down some of the feedback that I wanted to receive, the way that I wanted people to receive me. So ask yourself, what do you want your manager to say about you? What do you want your colleagues and your clients and the people that you serve to say, you know, what their experience is like working with you? What are the qualities that you have? And so things like reliability and she's consistent and she's knowledgeable and passionate and she's dedicated and we really value her. We really respect her. She's trustworthy. All of those were um, key words and, and key feelings that I wanted to feel. 
And so I removed the how, I removed the, the control element of, I have to work in this position at this time with this title, with this money. And I focused on what exact, the, the feelings that I wanted to feel and the ways that, uh, the way that it came to me was out of my control. And I just kind of surrendered to that. I'm curious to hear from you, how can organizations effectively support their, their, their talent, their employees? Um, when it comes to their career progression, their development? I think this is important for each individual to feel empowered to prioritize their own personal and professional growth. So it starts with each individual where companies can are, are sort of responsible. It's where they are providing the systems and the programs, right? Um, that demonstrate their commitment to supporting this employee growth. So things like encouraging career mobility, uh, throughout the company. So offering that training and giving employees exposure to build those skill sets and to, to really see themselves in, in those other positions and functions that they may not have had exposure to prior. So being intentional about creating those programs and systems, right? Um, having exposure to leadership. So at a previous company, they had an open uh, VP open door days where you can set up time with a VP and just talk to them about their career, talk to them about their journey and how they navigated throughout their careers. And that was extremely helpful for me because it was information that I used to now design my own career and to figure out what worked for me and what wasn't going to work. Um, and so things like that, things like rotation programs, job shadowing opportunities, being intentional about your learning and development curriculum, what types of trainings are you offering to your employees? So all of that really sends the message to, um, to employees that we really value you and we really want to see you grow. Um, in this work that I've done, I think it's really important for every organization to start with, do a culture assessment, you know, try to understand where they are on their DEI journey, where are their pain points, you know, where they could enhance inclusion along that employee life cycle. So by doing um, focus groups and company-wide surveys and interviewing leadership, these are all really effective ways to gather information and for you to determine what is that next step, right? What is the, the best tailored solution for this particular organization? Um, I mentioned doing a deep dive into key employee lifecycle processes. So hiring process, uh, what is, are there biases that exist in the interviewing process? Um, are managers equipped with the knowledge of biases that exist when they're interviewing candidates for their team? Um, are their job descriptions up to date with more inclusive language? Uh, all of those are examples of how to start to dig a bit into key employee lifecycle processes. And uh, recently I did a, a promotion analysis. This is really interesting. Mm. Looking at your promotion data over the last three years, what does it tell you? Um, are those in marginalized communities being promoted less frequently than those in the dominant group. You know, are there inconsistencies or biases in the promotion process? Is the, the uh, criteria followed by every single department in the organization? You know, or are, they, uh, are there opportunities to develop a more consistent promotion process? So there's greater risk of subjectivity, right? When there is a lack of equity in departments where the promotions do not follow those criteria, 
uh, where, you know, maybe directly the managers directly promoting without following a certain criteria. So all of those things will, uh, you know, be determined and uncovered with this deeper dive into, you know, these systems and processes. So that would be extremely helpful to for any organization to, to understand, wait, we do have these inconsistencies and some biases exist, and we really didn't even know until we did this deep dive. Mm. And what would you say is kind of the role of the ERG, so employee resource groups? Because um, we know a lot of organizations have them, um, a lot more of have a lot more different ERGs now <laughs> um, following recent events. But um, what's your opinion on them? What role do you what role do you think they play? Yeah, um, I cannot stress the impact of uh, employee resource groups enough. So according to Forbes, over 90% of Fortune 500 companies have ERGs and it's for a good reason. They are extremely effective. Um, they can really help advance DEI in organizations and are a great way to provide employees with safe spaces to connect with one another, with cultivating this feeling of I belong here, you know, I'm supported, I can relate to others and my colleagues with similar identities. Um, and so they're a great way for employees to also become allies to groups that um, they they don't share an identity with, but they can learn more about those the experiences of, experiences of other people. Um, some of the key benefits I would say of joining an ERG are the career development opportunities, of course, internal networking, you get to, uh, you know, connect with your colleagues and and really get to know uh, leaders and people in positions of, of uh, managing people that you may not have had exposure to within your role. This sense of community building, again, this feeling of belonging and you're, you're really able to connect with other people. So de depending on the needs of the membership of the group, um, they can hold educational and skill building workshops, celebrate cultural holidays. They can bring in speakers um, to share their experiences as well. So there's lots of benefits for members. And I think for those leading ERGs, the development opportunities are tremendous because you are now leading a group of passionate and involved people um, really taking on a role where you're able to build skills and flex some muscles that you may not have had a chance to do in other roles. So there's the exposure, the mentorship, and the coaching as well from the executive sponsors. If you have exec sponsors who are involved and who are committed, they can really offer you great guidance and great mentorship um, as you play that role, and as, again, as you navigate through your career and as you uh, as you continue to work within the company. So it's a great opportunity for those leading. It's a rewarding experience. Um, you get to inspire and, and empower other people, which is really wonderful. Mm, and so how have you benefited from uh, the employee research group experience through your previous roles? Yeah, I think that ERGs to um, they've really given people uh, employees a chance to share in a safe space um, what their experiences are like. And I don't think a lot of organizations realize this. Sometimes they're a great source of data and information for leadership as they're continuing to make decisions and build programming. So because these are safe spaces and people feel like they can share a bit more and be more open in these in these rooms, um, 
they, you know, the ERG leaders can then take that information back to leadership and, you know, this can help to develop what program, programming is needed that's geared towards the needs of these specific members. Um, so I think a lot of organizations, they have aspirations um, and employee support to, to get these groups established. But what is really needed for any ERG to be effective is having that DEI infrastructure in place. So having a clear purpose and having defined goals um, of what they're trying to achieve. And so understanding what uh, each of these groups are trying, you know, who they're serving um, is really important. And also, you know, having that commitment from leadership, I think is what's most, uh, it's been the nicest to kind of see because once you are given that um, that sort of green light, you can sort of go and take it and run with it. And again, these are employee-led groups and they're grassroots, so they're from the ground up. And it's just really beautiful to see that sort of creativity um, and to see that the the you know these communities being built in in an organization. So that's been really rewarding. Hmm, I, I could imagine. And I think it's so important, like you said, it's, it's building a community and it's starting from the ground up. So it's the employees that are really leading the charge. And so I think it's even more so important that where you have any sort of C-suite involvement, it's not overpowering. And it is, they're not kind of overshadowing and placing their agenda ahead of, of the employees that are, are yeah. there to really, they're the ones that are meant to be leading the way, right? which I do feel that and, in some instances it could happen. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. Um, I got excited. Um, so I think what's important with the exec sponsors, that's a, that's a great point. It's important to be very clear on what their role is. You know, laying out, you know, your role is to guide and to mentor, to remove roadblocks, right? To uh, reach out to your network and you know for possible speaker events and panels and things like that their role is not to to dictate or to you know tell the groups what to do it's more they are there offering their their guidance and their support so i think that's a great point to be very clear with your exec sponsors what exactly you need from them tell tell them what you need them to do mm. and um just pivoting, I'm, I'm thinking about those kind of first generation professionals that are coming into the workplace. Um, what would you say is 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 a way that organisations can can better support them? Um, because I think the way that the times are going and things are changing, ever changing, um, I'm interested to hear your take on, on what organisations can, can specifically do to guide those first gen professionals. It's so extremely important to focus on those first-gen professionals are uh, those who are the first in their families to work in a corporate or professional environment. You know, ERGs are especially beneficial for this group of people. A lot of the times they don't have the resources of mentors, of family members, of, of those in their community that have experience um, to help guide them. And so a lot of the times they are likely to have to learn on the job and it can take years it can take years to learn the ins and outs of any working environment if you're you know in your early you know just graduating college and you're just in your early 20s by the time you sort of make it to you know three or four years in, you're just out now learning oh that's what i have to do oh that's that's how i have to sort of climb this ladder and so you're at a disadvantage and there's just the feeling of uh, you being the only. 
you know, employee resource groups help uh, help these individuals benefit with the support that they provide. And again, the development opportunities, the mentorship, having someone to talk to and relate to someone that's more experienced that can just help guide you a bit as you are just moving through that stage. It's a very temporary stage, but it's really offering the support through that stage so that you can get through it in a, in a way that's not you know, going to leave you feeling depleted. So to organizations, you know, that invest in and really pour into those first earlier on in their careers, but also those professionals who are or newer to the workplace um, and really show them that support, they are more likely to stay with the organization and grow and really have that commitment to the company that's really invested in them. Mm. No, I, I totally agree. And I think even for me, I remember that I wasn't necessarily specifically first gen. My mom um, works with a, a textile company, a small textile company, and, and she was kind of a receptionist PA there. But even then, I feel like as a single mom, I didn't really, she didn't really necessarily sit me and my sister down and kind of be like, okay, this is this is how you climb the ladder, so to speak. Because for her, she was just doing everything that she can to make sure that we were okay and we were good. And yeah, I think for for many people that are within single parent households, I don't know. I, I'd like to think that that the the focus of the that parent is to make sure that every they've got a roof over their heads and their kids are fed, and and it's all about making sure that you're providing for your family. Um, and I don't know where sometimes as a parent, and and for me sometimes even. Um, knowing when to put myself first and when to be able to excel in my career it was quite difficult to to learn how to do that because my mum hadn't didn't necessarily have that sort of knowledge um so I completely hear where you're coming from in terms of the importance of the employee resource groups because that's what helped me I and the job that I started with the first job that I felt like I really could grow and develop was the one that paid attention to to me and my own personal development and there were employee resource groups that I could go to and and felt a community that I belonged to and I've been there what more than 10 years now (laughs) so and I started there when I was like in my 20s so I totally agree that if you if you pay attention to your employees then they will they will stick with you I think yeah, it's about understanding that we are humans and looking at people holistically, not just as employees that are doing a job function. It's it's people that are living whole lives. And I think with the pandemic and with, you know, remote work, we're all sort of understanding that a bit more where people have lives and, and responsibilities outside of the workplace and really wanting to figure out the right way to balance their personal lives and responsibilities with also showing up at work and doing a really amazing job and, um, you know, making some really wonderful work contributions as well. So I think that's where we're heading is, is companies and, and people looking at, at, at employees as holistic, you know, humans that, you know, that, that live full lives. And that's what I see when someone talks to me about inclusive leadership and, and when we talk about DEI leaders, for me, it's just being a leader which you're focused on people, like you're putting people first. That's the direction that we should be moving in, I feel. Um, so what are some of the challenges that you faced in your career progression 
because we've talked about support and and ERGs and that's great um but I'm interested to hear from you kind of any challenges that you face so far and, and how you've overcome them yeah so um I've gone through quite a bit over the last few years with with career transitions and with um just having to sort of tune into how I was feeling and and um, what I knew was best for me in terms of how to how to make strategic decisions with my career. I think early on when I was in my my you know mid 20s and I was still working in finance and I was really struggling, I I wasn't feeling really great about the work that I was doing. I had to learn a lot about the power of my thoughts um, and the energy that I was carrying around and how that was affecting the type of opportunities that I was attracting, the managers that I was attracting, the situations, the people. And so negative energy, things like being worried or anxious or overwhelmed or uh, disengagement and boredom, all of those are very heavy emotions and will attract people and situations at that same level, that same frequency. Um, it was really important for me to work through that because I had a natural tendency to worry or to be negative. Um, and so I had to become aware of that. So when you subconsciously have these doubts and these fears um, and limiting beliefs, that will impact what you're, you know, attracting into your life. So really building this awareness really helped me to start to question the way that I think instead of thinking, you know, all of the ways that things um, can't work out or won't work out. I started to think, how do I make this work? How could I figure this out? Um, and starting to choose more of a growth mindset really helped me as I took action and really realizing that, I'm the only one in control of my my thoughts and my belief system. Um, you mentioned this uh, about navigating life as uh, I understand you're in the UK, but for me as a first generation American, um, growing up with immigrant parents, there's so much um, conditioning, and you know, I having to forge an identity that encompasses the values and the traditions that I was brought up with while also figuring out who I am and what feels authentic to me. Um, I had to first become of those become aware of those conditioned beliefs um, and expectations and the pressure that's placed on you and sort of unlearn that. So redefining what success means to me, you know, determining my own personal identity. Uh, I realize it's funny that you mentioned this. I realize what a privilege and a luxury it is for me being the child of immigrant parents to be able to search for that purpose and that meaning and, and fulfillment when my parents were tasked with the job of survival hmm. and just, you know, um, they're just trying to survive and trying to raise their kids and, you know, make sure that they're, everybody's okay. And so I felt like I was, you know, I'm tasked with that self-actualization. So that tiny triangle at the top of Maslow's hierarchy. When a lot of people are, are in that bottom layer of just survival, just sort of the basic needs, I understand what a privilege it is for me to now be at that the top of the, the, the hierarchy and to be searching for that or to, or, or to even have an opportunity to think and to dream big for myself. 
Um, and so honestly, I felt this obligation and this responsibility to do something with the opportunities that I was given that were so different than the opportunities given to my parents. And so I owed it to myself and to the sacrifices that my parents made to, to really start to question the, the conditioned beliefs, question what my idea of happiness and success was, because I, it wasn't it. And when I was working in finance, it just wasn't it for me. Mm. And um, instead of staying stuck there, I had to sort of do the work to figure out, you know, what, what it is. Um, I also think a huge challenge for me, this is very common in the AAPI community based on culture as, you know, a 20 something in my mid twenties, I found it really challenging to advocate for myself to highlight my accomplishments, to communicate what my experiences were. Um, I didn't even know that it was a, a you know thing that's very, very common in Asian cultures. Um, it didn't feel natural to me or comfortable for me to speak up for for my experiences or, 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 you know, advocate for myself, talk about the work that I was doing. I know. It's so, it it's so, so strange, isn't it? It is like, literally, I think because for me as well, it, it was really weird. Like I, every time I would dread every time that annual review, do you know where like, and everyone's got to write yeah. like your annual review to your manager and you basically just have to write an essay about how amazing you were for the whole year. And to me, it was like torture. Cause I just don't, that's just, I don't know, I just, there was just something about it that I just couldn't really wrap my head around. And I found that when I looked around the room, so many other people that necessarily weren't like me came from my cultural background, found it so easy to do. Um, and I just wondered, I was like, oh my gosh, like why is everyone so, why can everyone just so easily do this? Like, is it me? Like, I don't understand. But yeah, I think for me, it was very much a case of like, because I hadn't grown up with something like that. Like we weren't, we weren't I wasn't taught like you need to speak up you should advocate I was more so taught do a good job keep your head down and yes. someone at the top will tap you on the shoulder and be like great work Natasha where I'm and now I've had to unlearn that and be like no one's tapping me on my shoulder I can't wait for the tap I have to go get it <laughs> no and it, it's it's really believing that your hard work will somehow speak for itself and your dedication yeah. will speak for itself Again, it takes years to learn, oh, wait, this isn't how it works. And you have to build that skill set. That's a skill. Communication is a skill set. And so, you know, I had to learn like you over years, um, not only how to communicate and speak up for myself, but how important it is for advancement. And so, you know, a lot of folks with, you know, immigrant families or, you know, just the way that we were brought up, their guidance is is really wonderful and it's intended to protect you and to make you successful, but it does not directly translate to how workplaces operate. Um, and so that's extremely, you know, that was a very challenging one for me. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say here is this is a fear, fear-based decision. So when I was switching my career, um, just people around me, coworkers and classmates and, and friends at the time would sort of share their opinions on why I shouldn't do this or you can't do that or you can't get a job doing this, you can't make money doing this and all of these negative, fearful thoughts. 
it's extremely important for you to not not make decisions based on fear. Um, I think a lot of people get stuck because of the fears that they that they have, and they end up making decisions from that place of fear and not even realizing it. Um, fear can show up as limiting beliefs. It can show up as you know thinking of all the ways something cannot work out instead of all the possibilities that exist. Fear is what are people going to think? you know, focusing on on um, societal norms and cultural norms to dictate your decisions and how you choose to live your life. It's not allowing you to dream big and think big for yourself and staying stuck. Um, and so, you know, fear has a lot of people sort of playing it safe, playing it small, telling ourselves all sorts of stories of of why things cannot work out. You know, if you tried something new, no one's really done this before. What if I don't, what if it doesn't work out and all of these things. So that's one thing I really wanted to stress here was it's really about becoming aware of that mindset and changing it and choosing courage, choosing believing in yourself, choosing to trust yourself and know that you will figure it out. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be roadblocks, but you have to trust that you'll figure it out along the way. Um, and so I think working with a coach, working with a therapist, they can help you navigate through some of those unconscious belief systems that we all have. They can act as a mirror for you and help to empower you to create your own path um, and not be sort of stopped by all of the fear, the, all the fears that are around us. And, and I should mention fear protects us and it's there for a reason. But my point is that if you, if you lead with all of that fear, or if you make decisions from that place of fear, then that's where it can get very problematic because that's when you can stay stuck and you can mm. accept, you know, this is how life is and this is how work is. And I'm just going to accept it. And you won't reach your potential that way. It's about reaching your potential. It's about knowing what you're capable of and being able to reach that potential um, and embracing that learning curve. Anytime you try something new and outside of your comfort zone, it will be uncomfortable. Just embracing that right now, it's going to feel a little uncomfortable and sticky and I may not be really good at this, but I'll get there. I, I'm just going to keep working at it. As long as I keep working at it and I'm dedicated, I'll get there and I'll get better at it. So being graceful with yourself um, is a much more productive and healthy way to go through a, this stage. It, it's a very temporary stage when you try something new, right? Mm. So kind of remembering that and being graceful with yourself that it's just this time period and you will get past it. You just have to build experience. Experience is just built over time. Um, and so, you know, when I first started consulting, I was doing work that, you know, I, I was happy doing, but I knew that, um, it wasn't exactly, you know, there's other, there's other more strategic work that I wanted to do, but yeah. I knew that I had to kind of take those stages and, um, you know, kind of just, just do, do some of the work that I may not have, um, ha have been as comfortable for me at that time. So mm. I knew that at that time it was temporary. And I feel like you can take some of the things that, that you've said as well. I feel like you can, everything that you've said in, in a viewpoint of for myself and for as an individual, like what do I want? What what should I be thinking of? Kind of don't lead with fear. Also can easily be transferable into an overall change management. Like when you're looking at 
implementing some ch cultural changes in, in an organization here are some of the things some of the questions don't be fearful don't act in because you're scared of what other opinions are going to be do your research kind of that sort of I feel like there's an element of that can easily be transferable into when you're wanting to to kind of create change within an organization's culture yeah and I think too understanding that change um of course happens sort of slowly over time it's not a, a not a you know overnight thing it's an ongoing effort and I think that's um I think what a lot of organizations and leaders need to sort of understand and people not just leaders but just all people need to understand that um this will take some time to create change any transformation any you know new programming it's going to take some time to not only implement but really execute and then sustain whatever you know that change is so understanding to just kind of be patient with it and that we won't you know the expectation is not to see you know tremendous changes overnight so i think that's really important too mm. so um samantha i've so much enjoyed our conversation today like it's it's been it's been a really great one um just based on your expertise um what do you believe is the future of dei work what do you what do you see emerging trends yeah um so it's funny because i think understanding that shifting mindsets like we were just saying shifting mindsets transforming cultures building a strong foundation again it's an ongoing effort it happens over time i think it's really important for everyone to focus on the changes that we can all make in our realm of influence and control. It's not just about leadership. It's about every single individual demonstrating and modeling those inclusive behaviors within their teams, within you know their colleagues, again, within their realm of control. It requires support from everybody in the organization. So um, you can change your behaviors. You can become aware of your behaviors. You can change the way that you think, the energy that you bring to the room, being mindful of, of the example that you're setting, not only for your team, but your, your business partners, your clients, right? So that to me is really important to sort of focus on. I also think um, having DEI integrated into an organization's overall business strategy goals, objectives, instead of having it being viewed as sort of this separate special initiative this island on its own right it's sort of in integrated into the the organization's key business objectives um and understanding that there are many dimensions of difference that make up a person you and i just talked about a bunch of them you know culture and upbringing and things like personality um i'm very introverted and i need time after this call i'm gonna go sit by myself and just kind of recharge right yeah. so um personality working style things like that so focusing on the optics of simply race and gender which a lot of organizations do without addressing and becoming aware of the other differences that we all have you're really you know limiting your perspective to just the sort of on the surface optics of you know race ethnicity and gender so i think understanding uh, having a broader understanding of what diversity really means i think that is extremely important um and then i think uh, you know approaching this work with positivity and openness this is hard work 
This is very deep work. It's very, you know, challenging to build strategies that are tailored for an organization and that will sort of survive for a very long time. Um, so focusing on what is the greatest good for all, focusing on what is the greatest good for this organization that you're working with, the people that work here, the leadership team, you know, how do you create the positive change and invite this inclusivity into this particular organization's systems and processes and culture. Um, so when I approach this work, it's extremely important for me as a practitioner to remove my own ego, remove myself and my past experiences that I've had and offer my sort of a clean slate of my professional advisory and support and guidance. Because um, if I bring my own grievances or whatever it is that I have experienced in my career and I create programs because of that one manager that I had a very hard time with, it's not doing the 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 right the, the service that this organization deserves. And I'm not being the best professional that I could possibly be. And so it's really about, again, these are hard things to be aware of, right? Because yeah. it's hard to sort of catch yourself like, wait, I'm being really emotional right now about this. And uh, why am I, why is this triggering me a little bit? And it's mm. because of your past experiences and sort of working through that on your own. And when you do show up for clients and organizations showing up as, as this, you know, not projecting, not projecting your past experiences onto the, the, you know, clients that you're working with. Um, so I think that's really important too. Mm. Uh, well, Samantha thank you so much again for this wonderful conversation and um, for anyone who is listening out there before you do leave us um, what's the best way for them to connect with you yeah so uh, my LinkedIn page it's Samantha Singh or my website is samanthasingconsulting.com oh fantastic well I will make sure that I will be putting links to both of those below so whoever is listening is able to reach out to you and kind of get more information in relation to the consulting that your services that you're offering because they are going to be fantastic um, and they're going to be definitely worthwhile oh my gosh thank you so much Natasha I so love this conversation and I'm so excited to continue just our our uh, professional relationship yeah no definitely and until we speak again i wish you all the best thank you likewise